This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor from Equestrian Businesswomen. And you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we're talking about difficult conversations. Both our guests have had years of practice taking on tough conversations with clients, employees, suppliers, and everyone connected to their businesses. Listen in to hear about how these ladies start the conversation, end it, and how to shake it off when it gets heated. Lauren Spreiser is a USDF gold, silver, and bronze medalist and a high-performance Grand Prix rider and trainer. A veteran of the high-performance youth programs, Lauren has consistently produced horses from green to FEI, including five to Grand Prix. Her students compete with success from the grassroots to the international levels in several disciplines on a wide range of horse types. Her students have contested the USDF National Championships, the North American Youth Championships, and the Kentucky Five Star. Lauren is a high-energy and experienced teacher whose wit and charm have graced the chronicle of the horse, Dressage Today, Practical Horseman, and Horse Illustrated. She is currently developing a pipeline of her own horses from Green to Grand Prix and trains horses and riders from her home base in Northern Virginia. Jenna Antonucci grew up riding horses from the age of three and began competing and training show horses throughout childhood into her teens and early adulthood. On the journey to better understand horses and the retraining process, she shifted gears and found an opportunity at one of the best breaking and training programs for thoroughbreds and relocated to Ocala, Florida. She had the honor of working under the D. Wayne Lucas program at Padua Stables, breaking and training thoroughbreds. She then worked as an equine veterinary assistant for four and a half years, giving her another perspective on horses and their health. She opened her own business, Bella Inizio Farm, where she initially cared for broodmares, foals, weanlings, and yearlings before moving into rehabilitating thoroughbreds to return to racing. Earning her public training license in 2010, she quickly earned her first win on March 7, 2010 at Tampa Bay Downs. She has continued to build off that success over the last decade, which initially allowed her to take the big jump into the deep waters of New York racing. Jenna has an open-door policy for owners as she continues to build a team and a family environment. This is the foundation for her growth, and it allows her to maintain a consistent string of great horses no matter where they're racing. Lauren and Jenna, thanks so much for joining us today and to have a conversation about conversations. We're really excited to talk to you guys, knowing your background in the industry and, you know, you both have your own businesses and have, I'm sure, had to have many difficult conversations with people as you do when you're your own boss and you're running things. Lauren, if you want to start out, can you tell us, do you have a strategy to start your difficult conversations? I am a big believer in planning ahead, not only planning what I'm going to say, but also, and I think this is the really important part, planning a couple of options to about what to do next. So I'm a dressage trainer. The type of bad news that I am usually called upon to deliver overwhelmingly, it's about a disconnect between a client's ability and reality and their hopes and dreams. Maybe because (laughs) the horse is unsuitable, maybe because their lifestyle isn't suitable for 
what their goals are. And so when I have to deliver news on that front, I want to make sure that I have options for them to go home and think about, but options, you know, we can solve your problem one of these three ways. Let's explore those. Because then the person doesn't feel like I've just sort of laid this terrible turd at their feet and said, well, good luck. (laughs) I I love that. And I think that's a really good mindset to go into it as a way of solving a problem, offering solutions rather than just saying, this sucked. I don't know what to do about it. It reminds me of what you're supposed to do when you have little kids. Like you can't leave an open-ended question to them. You can't say like, what do you want for dinner tonight? You have to say, do you want chicken nuggets or hamburger for dinner? And then the decision is so much easier. Would you say, Lauren, that you take a direct approach to it or do you ease into it? I think context is everything. I think certainly when the matter at hand is really dire, then you bet I want to cut to the chase, especially if it's a decision that has to be made quickly. Although mercifully, those are usually conversations that a veterinarian is having with a client, not that I'm having with a client. But I also like to think about who I'm talking to. Is the person, is the client that I'm talking to or the person that I'm talking to a muller? Do they want to go home and think about it for 24 hours or are they going to be impulse decision makers? Not that either of those is good or bad, but I just like to be able to sort of frame what I'm asking of them to decide on with who they are and how they think about things. Hopefully, you know, for the most part, if it's whether it's a client or employee or a supplier of some sort, you already have an existing relationship with them. Right. And Jenna, how about you? Do you have any sort of strategy and what kind of approach do you take? You know, it's an interesting topic, especially being that I train thoroughbred racehorses and break and develop them and raise them. So kind of full cycle of racing, you deal with a lot of different clients and owner relationships where homebreds tend to be a little bit more of an emotional easing of news in. I've always subscribed to open door, direct. You want people to be able to build on that. I think the biggest difference with what I do with training thoroughbreds and not being in competition world that Lauren is in is my owners don't ride their horses. In racing, statistically, we are going to fail 80% of the time. So you better get really tied on to be able to deliver bad news well and effectively, but also reading the room. I think it's very important to understand how every owner views their horse. While we may not appreciate some of them looking at them as an asset to some owners, it's a racing asset. Some of them, they're their most prized, homebred, inexpensive racehorse that's supposed to go in the derby that unfortunately can't run out of his own shadow. And then I'm calling Lauren to see if she wants to rehome a really cool slow thoroughbred. (laughs) And so it's really finding a balance, knowing what your audience is. I say it all the time, you know, read the room. You've got to slow down and listen to how that owner is responding. And some owners are just super direct, like, great, we have an injury. How are we retiring this? Or what can we do to prevent this in the future? Or And you've got others that literally feel everything they own should overperform. And why isn't it? And what's wrong? And how come it's not good enough? And it doesn't matter. The horse doesn't care who their parents are. They don't care how much you paid for it at all or how much your stud fee was. That's the amazing balance and brilliance of what we do in the thoroughbred world of 
they either have it or they don't. And our job is to navigate the landmines. <laughs> right. Yeah, because yeah, as we know with horses, there's no guarantees and things can change from one minute to the next. Yeah, I think that sometimes that's a really difficult place, especially in racing. I know, Jenna, because we have like some people who, like you said, they really care about it. And some, it's just an asset. It's just, they think it should be a machine. And I think, Lauren, also, you probably see that a little bit in in the dressage world, right? Where you've got these adult amateurs who go live their life and they're doing everything except riding their horse. And then you've got to have those tough conversations. Jenna, what are some difficult conversations that you've kind of had to navigate through that stick in your mind? Because we deal with speed and we have pretty gnarly injuries that, you know, is pretty well documented everywhere. And so we do a lot of preventative to try and minimize that risk. But when you're running 35 plus miles per hour, you're going to have injuries and you're going to have catastrophic injuries. And while we've been very blessed to keep that to a minimum, those are by far the hardest conversations to call. And I really try and stay as level and supportive during those calls. And I'm not an overly emotional person in that sense, but when we're dealing with an animal that we are around 24 seven and they have absentee owners, sometimes it's hard to keep that in check because we care. And so that's probably the hardest is that. And then the next one would likely be similar to what Lauren was speaking of, where your horse just isn't good enough for what you're wanting to accomplish. You know, sorry that we've spent all this money or someone let, led you in this direction. And then you have to deal with the balance of, well, if you can't make the horse do it, I'll find a trainer who can. It's loaded, yeah. very loaded. Yeah. And Lauren, how about you? What other types of difficult conversations do you have to have regularly? For sure. Just as Jenna mentioned in sport land, in dressage land, 99% of what I'm telling someone is that how you think this is going to go and how this is going to go are not the same thing. So maybe it's the client who sends me a horse to ride. I've had one of these where she said, I really think that this is your horse for the Olympics. And I had to find a way to tell her, well, unless there's a parade before the Olympics that this horse could go carry a flag in or something, that's the end of that. But also for folks who maybe don't have the, the biggest pile of means underneath them and so they keep their horse at home or they keep their horse in a boarding stable, they can't afford to keep it in full training and the horse that they have is not suited to that lifestyle or that the dreams that they have are going to be very hard to achieve under that system. I have absolutely had students either keep their horse at home or keep their horse in a boarding stable and get them to FEI, but they were pretty good riders to begin with. They took a lot of lessons. They ended up sending the horse for training for periods of time, and the horses were quite exceptional. They are the exception, not the rule. And that's not to say that there aren't people who can have tremendously fulfilling riding careers without going to FEI. Of course not. This is a beautiful sport in that there's all kinds of levels that people can play at. But I think a lot of people want to put a tailcoat on and they only have the resources, the time in their day, their parents, their full-time jobs, the time in their life, they're later in life, they're picking up riding later in life. And so they're really looking at more of a first level at a schooling show sort of world. And crushing dreams sucks. It sucks for everyone. It sucks for the, the dreamer, but it also sucks for the crusher. And I just have to keep coming back to the, I want you to succeed. I am here for you. I'm here to help you. 
We just have to figure out what help looks like. And you both kind of mentioned that you consider who you're talking to and how you approach it. But what about like your employees? How would you say, Lauren, that you kind of have bad conversations with your employees versus having them with like the riders who ride with you? I've mostly been very fortunate, and now I'm afraid to utter these words into the universe for the <laughs> hellstorm that's going to rain upon me now. But by and large, anybody who has had delusions of grandeur, either the problem solves itself, usually by having them leave a human-sized hole in a brick wall they've run into, or they don't stick around very long. Unfortunately, reality is a really good teacher, and and sometimes it is better to just sit back and watch that train wreck happen. Whether it's whether it's an employee of mine or a paying student of mine, they want to go enter a level that's one level above what they should be. Yeah, fine, let them go blow it. You know, this isn't eventing where somebody's going to have a rotational fall if they see a bad distance do a canter pirouette. Like the stakes <laughs> yeah. of blowing it at the local dressage show are fairly low. So <laughs> yeah, let them blow it, and I I think. More than anything else, when I'm talking about my employees who are overwhelmingly late teens to mid-20s women that are wonderful and hungry for success and work really hard and reality just sometimes bites, I'm not the one delivering the bad news. Reality, <laughs> the, the, the dressage judge is the one delivering the bad news, and then I'm there to hold them while they cry for a second and say, okay, now what? Now what do you want to do? What do we do next? Do you want to try again? Do you want to take a step back? And that's a beautiful learning opportunity. Failure provides all kinds of wonderful learning opportunities. And then also I get to be the good guy instead of the bad guy. Yeah, that's great. How about Jenna? Do you have to deliver bad news to your employees? I think it's definitely different. We have so much structure in our industry. If we're shipping a out or if it's going to a different location, you know, there's, you know, grooms get disappointed and it's bad news to them if they're losing one of their barn favorites, but definitely it's a little bit more of a sterile environment than obviously growing up in show horse land. It was such a different world than the thoroughbred world. So the dynamic of, you know, employer, employee, and the racehorse world is definitely different, but it's hugely important for me in my barn and in my environment. It's very much feels like a family and, you know, I really try and have my crews back and, you know, make sure that they're, what we do is a grind. The horse world is a grind. So trying to make this part of their life as pleasant and predictable as possible so that we get the same kind of person showing up day in and day out to give their care and attention to the horses. Yeah, I think that's really tough in the racing world because we're all over the place in different barns, in different places. And I know coming from being both an owner and I've groomed and you know grew up in racing my whole life that it, it wasn't always my dad who was giving us the bad news. It could be the vet, you know, like you're bummed, you're expecting your horse to go to a big race. And then you have to hear that, you know, he pulled a suspensory or something. It's kind of devastating to us too. <laughs> For sure. And I've always said the sport doesn't care about your feelings. There's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows that happen almost simultaneously at times. And you just literally have to learn to deal with it. And I tell people often, if you can't handle a constant disappointment for the passion and love of the horse, don't do it. Find a way to do it on a recreational level or something that you your emotional stability and your financial stability doesn't rely on an industry and an animal. Yeah. And Lauren, you said that you already definitely plan out what you're going to say ahead of time, knowing if you have to have 
a difficult conversation with someone and you plan options for them. Jenna, do you do anything similar? Do you plan anything out? If it's a medical conversation, I'll make sure that I have all my ducks in a row. If it's an injury, what are our options? Is it time? Is it surgery? Is it retirement? Because most of the people that I deal with are more business-minded. And I know personally, I don't mind if people come to me with a problem, but also come to me with a possible solution. And so I try and carry that forward for owners where here is what we have to navigate. Here's our options and typically find most owners will defer once they know you're organized and have a plan and the direction that you want to go. They will defer to you being organized. I do find that most owners hate someone that's waffling. They're paying you for your services. They're paying you for your leadership. They're paying for you to make the best possible decisions for them and with them. So I'll lay it out. I'll make sure that they understand everything and then defer and let them make the decision and support whatever avenue they go with. Yeah. Do you have any kind of ritual? Because I'm a big ritual person. I have to talk myself up into before we come on the podcast. Like, okay, this is what I'm going to say. This is how it's going to go. Do you have any certain kind of ritual or mindset that you get into in order to have these tough conversations, Lauren? I am a big believer in making sure my motivations are repeated a lot because there's a lot of money at stake here. and Horses are expensive. Even for people who have lots of money, it's still a very expensive endeavor. And because in my industry, there are people out there who are quick to say, oh, Sally student, your horse is unsuitable. How about instead we go spend six figures on a five-year-old that I will develop for you for a couple of years? Blech, my least favorite thing. <laughs> I, I want to always start the conversation with Sally student. My only motivation is your success, your happiness, your safety, all of the above at the same time. And repeat that a lot, that I'm here to help. I'm here to help you. And when it comes to the presenting of options, I say things like, you know, the ball is in your court. You get to decide where we go from here. And I'm going to support you in whatever decision you make. That's good for them to hear. I think that's never the wrong answer for them to hear that somebody is doing this to help them. I do think that can soften a tough blow. But I also think that it helps them feel powerful that they get to be the shot caller. Even if it's, I've presented them with three options and they get to pick one, it's still their choice. And that's very empowering. Yeah. I can see where people would definitely appreciate that. I I actually was in a leadership training earlier this year and the option thing was super important to the guy who came in and talked to us because he was like, you need to not leave it open-ended. You need to give the options. And then that makes you feel like you have an end to it. Like I can, I'm available at this time and this time, what works better for you? Because I used to definitely be one of those people who was like, oh, whatever. Yeah, I'm flexible <laughs> and I can do it. And yeah, I like giving the options, like you said, because then people can pick and it does empower them. is something that Jenna said about how her clients don't like waffling. And I can absolutely understand that there are people out there who want like an, okay, we are leaving this room with a plan. 
for some of my clients, that's not what they need. And certainly, you know, if the horse is dying, if it's mission critical, if that choice gets made, then of course you have to say, look, we've got T minus five minutes to call this play. Let's go. For my, uh, the, the majority of my clients, first of all, if they haven't seen the train of reality coming, <laughs> I don't know how to help them. When I tell them bad news, it's not the first time this thought has crossed their mind. But some of them need time. Some of them need to go home and have a glass of wine and cry in the shower and then come back at the problem on Tuesday. And that's okay, too. And so I, I always make sure my clients know that there is a timeline, but that it is important that the decision not get made out of emotion or frustration. Yeah. And Jenna, how about you? Do you have to psych yourself up to have these kinds of conversations? I think it depends on the level of suck that it's going to be, <laughs> to be candid. You know, sometimes if there's a ton of things going on in my day where it's like, I just have to rally and put my rally cap on. And again, you know, it's, I'm innately people pleaser and this industry will suck the life out of you if you don't find boundaries with that. I remember when I first started racing, I hated that people lost money if my horse didn't run as it should. So it was, it's a very humbling thing to find your boundaries and respect them and have other people respect them through having to make these conversations with people. As long as it's not a critical situation that you're triaging, laying it out. But but no, for me, it's just a suck it up buttercup. Let's get this done and being respectful of what the other person, how they're receiving the information. And I think knowing too that you're not coming to them with bad intent. Um, or from a bad place, you're coming to them to resolve a problem that is going to directly affect them financially, emotionally, and, and however the way the horse is instilled in their life. And you have to be respectful of that. So just really evaluating it all and trying to find a balance, walking into the conversation and just handle it as respectfully and tactfully as possible. And speaking of respect and tact, Jenna, how do you react or how do you handle it if a conversation gets heated or somebody it does get emotional when you're talking to them? The younger version of me would have been more defensive and wanting to defend where I was coming from and making sure that person knew my intent was good and made sure that I, 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 where the older version of me definitely respects they have to process what I'm giving them. And as there's three parts to communication, sometimes respecting it may need a bit of breathing room. People are allowed to get angry as long as they don't make it personal. If something becomes personal, I will usually try and shift or divert or, you know, hey, we'll circle back to this later when you have a moment. I don't have a desire to have a pissing contest with somebody and have an argument with somebody. Let's stay focused on the solution and move forward. I just don't find it productive to make it a emotional, he said, she said situation. Nothing good gets accomplished or resolved or good decisions are made out of emotion. Mm -hmm. Lauren, are there tips that you have as well to keeping the conversation moving in a positive way? I am a big believer in breathing. I have no problem putting a three to five second pause in a conversation to take air in the nose and out through the mouth <laughs> if I find myself getting frustrated. But I will also do that if I feel the person that I'm speaking to getting frustrated. I will look at them and I will take a breath. And usually they join me in taking a breath. Mm. If things really get personal, like Jenna said, I can try and redirect 
But I also am quick to say, look, I'm really sorry that you're feeling really frustrated. Why don't we revisit this in 24 hours? Why don't you take a minute? Why don't we come back to this? And if it continues to get heated and be awful, then I am happy to execute the mantra at my house, which is that everyone brings joy to the stable. Someone they come and someone they go. If hearing appropriately and compassionately delivered bad news causes a client to become a raging lunatic, then they can go find someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that saying. So I know we have a lot of unplanned events that happen, especially with horses and We don't have control over everything. So if the conversation has to come from an unplanned event, and I'm going to give a scenario to Jenna, like your horse goes out and it races really bad and you have some words with the jockey, how do you approach that conversation differently than if you know that it's coming, you know it's a bad conversation, like in the heat of the moment, how do you control that conversation? With the jockey or with an owner? With the jockey. So it's a really messed up dynamic. Because there's so many things that go into it. Was it an off day? Do you feel you absolutely just got the Tour de France that you didn't need? Do you, you know, there's so many variables on it. Depending on how well I know the jockey, I may more sarcastically lean into it of, wow, that was the worst ride I've ever seen in my life. What were you doing? You know, welcome to the race that just happened three minutes ago. And then there's others that, it's so bad and you just know the answer is my answer is I'm not riding you back that you listen to whatever line of garbage they're going to give you. And you go, okay, cool. Thanks. And you walk away because to stand there, I've watched trainers do it. I've watched trainers do it in the show horse world. You see them yell and scream. What are you doing? What was that? Like, why, what are we going to accomplish by making ourselves look like an ass as women were heavily scrutinized anyways, So it's just easier and I think more professional and says more to say less and let your actions speak louder than sounding like an ignorant female that they want you to look like anyways. Mm, Yeah, I know. It's tough. I picked that particular situation because I know that happens quite often and things can get super heated at that point. Lauren, do you have any unplanned events that you have to negotiate through? The other mantra at my house besides when people bring joy to the stable is that no one gets fired until Tuesday. (laughs) So you have a bad ride at a horse show. The saddle sucks. The farrier sucks. The vet sucks. The trainer sucks. The horse sucks. Whatever it is that sucks, they don't get fired until Tuesday. You have to go home. You have to do your laundry. You have to cry in the shower. And then you have to take all day Monday to remember that the earth does continue, in fact, to rotate on its axis whether you have sat the trot well on Sunday or not. And then on Tuesday, if something really does need to be addressed, if the trainer really does need to get fired, if the vet really does need to get fired, if the horse really does need to get sold, then fine. But nobody gets fired until Tuesday because everything that seems awful on Sunday is put into perspective with time. And I have no problem letting a client rant and rave for a little bit in accordance with the severity of the awfulness. If they've just lost the qualifier for the national championships, they're allowed to cry it out for a minute. If they got a bad score at 
walk trot canter at the schooling show than like, oh, I'm sorry, you're sad. Take a walk, eat some ice cream, move on. Yeah. People get sent for walks from time to time <laughs> in my house. Hey, would you mind grabbing that from the trailer? Thank you so much. I really need it. The trailer's about a half a mile that way. How do you signal that it's over and you're done talking about it? And, you know, this is the end of talking about this subject. This comes back, I think, to what Jenna said about reading the room. A combination of reading the room, knowing who you're talking to, and knowing the problem. If it's really serious bad news and no matter what you do, solving it is going to require some major sacrifice, I say, hey, let's circle back. Let's pick a time. Let's find a moment that is not tomorrow to come back to this and just to make sure that they know what the options are also keeps the train on the tracks from like googling their problems or going on message boards to solve their problems if you don't want to give them too long a the problem (laughs) needs resolution and b like they can really go off the reservation particularly if they're a greener or less experienced but i do like to sort of pick a deadline and i pick that deadline based on the person I'm talking to and the severity of the situation. Yeah. And Jenna, how about you? Is that a similar approach to wanting to return to a conversation? Um, I think because our world is, is a little bit more um, black and white. And like I said, our owners aren't riding their horses. If it's pertaining to an injury per se, or a decision in the direction we need to go with a horse, some owners, you need to plant the seed and you need to come back and put water on it and then you need to approach it again after it's had its opportunity to marinate. Others will be a little bit more, if it's after a race, a bad experience or a win, more succinct to the point, done, moving on. So it's really um, situational depending on what we're navigating. But I don't have a problem, an employee being a little chirpy about something. I don't have a problem walking back into the conversation saying, so we didn't finish a solution with this in the direction we're heading. But I think as long as there is a direction at the end of a conversation, I'm not a dweller. I have way too much to do to keep open boxes around. Let's close the box and move on. I find it healthier and more productive across the board. And I think pretty good mindset to have in general. I know it's hard for a lot of people, especially ones that really dread any sort of confrontation. It's hard. I think that word that you said is the perfect word where confrontation has become such a negative word in society and in life where there is a lot of very healthy, productive confrontation when you're dealing with with things. And if people are walking into it with the right intent and they're being respectful and they're understanding where they have to go, but there is a conflict resolution that needs to happen, the worst thing you can do is sweep that under the rug because that mound in that rug is going to be far more toxic than saying, let's have a healthy conversation about resolving this thing. So I'm a big one on really emphasizing confrontation is not always a negative. I like that. I like that idea because I am somebody who does not like conflict very much. I'm a people pleaser. And I like to, you know, be flexible and do whatever. But looking at it like that, I like your take on that because, yeah, sometimes you have to have it so that you can move forward and do better, you know. I think that 
these kind of conversations, they can be pretty mentally and emotionally draining. I know they definitely are on me when I've had to have them. So do you guys have any steps that you take to kind of rebound afterwards? Because it takes me a while to like come down from shaking and, you know, like keep myself together. So Lauren, what do you think about that? Do you have anything that you do afterwards that kind of shake it off? I have a vegetable garden. (laughs) I am that crazy lunatic who goes out and sings to her basil and I could weed my bell pepper plants all day long. And (laughs) when I run out of things to do there, I go hiking. I'm, I live in Northern Virginia. I live an hour from the main gate at Shenandoah national park. I go touch trees and no matter how foul of a mood I am in before I go and touch a tree or stare at my basil plant, I'm always in a better mood after. And for me, it's nature. For other people, it's their kids or puppies or crochet or whatever it is. It is your thing. If horses are everything, and this I think is across the industry, any anybody who does horses loves horses, right? It's really easy to let horses become all-consuming. You've got to have something else because it'll eat you up and spit you out. You got to have some hobbies. Yeah. And Jenna, how about you? Do you do anything afterwards? I've spent my lifetime (laughs) probably unhealthily navigating conflict and issues and problems within my... So I will find that I'm a pacer where I will literally just kind of be in a quiet area and just kind of walk it out. But I also agree with Lauren getting outside, just trying to be around things that make me happy. I actually enjoy going out to like the middle of the mare field or the babies and just going and scratching them and playing with them, letting that clear my head or even going to ride because I don't ride very much anymore. So I find when I ride or I do these things, I used to golf a ton, not as much now because this occupation is all consuming. But I agree, it's finding balance and you've got, you have to be mentally tough when you find your mind wandering back into the conversation and reliving it, purposefully shifting and saying you dealt with it. But I'm a bit of a tumbler. I will sort things through my head over a couple of days and then we'll reorganize and I move on. But I'm very much focused on not being a dweller and just dealing with the crap and move on. Yeah. I like the idea of really putting it aside once you know that there's been a resolution. I think that's important because... You know, if it went badly, going back to yourself about how you isn't going to help anything, right? Well, and everything's a practice, right? And and we don't always get it right. And whether you do yoga or whatever you do, if you participate in yoga and you're practicing and you're trying to become better at it, or you're practicing meditating or whatever those escapes are for people, some of the same very basic rules apply to doing better in conversation or conflict is you're not always going to get it right. Be kind to yourself, accept how it is and, and patiently move forward and intentfully move your mind forward. Yeah, that's great advice. I think that was a really enlightening and helpful conversation to have. And thank you guys for sharing how you handle tough conversations and the situations around it. At the end of every episode, we do the same three rapid fire questions. So Connor usually starts with the first one. What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Jenna, can you go first, please? Boundaries. Respect your boundaries and don't feel shameful for asking other people to respect your boundaries. 
that would be my number one answer. That's so, so important. And Lauren? Everyone should own a couple of really good bras. I'm a 34D <laughs> and damn it, I put money into really good sports bras a couple years ago and it was life-changing because my back doesn't hurt and my posture is amazing. And I've had people ask me if I'm skinny, which I assure you I am not. Man, the power of the right bra for you in the right size, magnificent. <laughs> That really does make a big difference. And like it changes over the years. Like you're not always going to be the same size and trying to squeeze yourself into old bras or having ones that are too big are just the worst. And they have an expiration date. Like be good to your boobs. Get good bras. (laughs) Often. (laughs) Replace often. Jenna, what is the best habit that keeps you motivated? Just my sickness of who I am. I try and be as efficient as possible. And I like organization. So two things is I don't like to touch something twice because it's one of the highly effective habits of effective people. And so I focus on really trying to touch something, whether it's putting something away, whether it's getting a task accomplished, remain as effective and as efficient as possible. And I'm a big one and everything has its place. So I like to wake up in the morning and things not be disorderly and everywhere. And I don't always get it right, but I just find that it keeps my headspace more clear in the morning and me a bit more motivated to rock on to the day where I don't wake up feeling like I'm starting behind the eight ball. Yeah. Well, because you wake up at like 4 a.m., right? Or 3 oh, a.m. But let's not sound so judgy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I I also would have to be very organized if I had to get up that early in the morning. I, I am that adult that literally has like close out the night before to incoherently wake up, be dressed and out the door in 15 minutes. So yes, that's me. Yeah. Well, I can appreciate that. And Lauren, how about you? What's the best habit that keeps you motivated? I am really good now, finally, about taking pictures of horses when they arrive into my life for training. Because even just after a couple of weeks or a couple of months, especially with the young horses, when five-year-old warmbloods are just like the damn worst and they're doing the stupid thing where they're pissed off all the time because you've had the audacity to put your leg on, it's great (laughs) to be able to look back and be like, look at how far we have come. Look Mm. at how much this animal has changed in his body. And that keeps me going through the times when I'm thinking of turning them into rugs. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And I think that can apply to no matter what kind of business you have, whether it's working directly with horses or, you know, if you looking at where you started or, you know, having a, a snapshot of what your business is at the start or you know, how many followers you had when you started your Instagram page versus a year later and see the growth. Yeah, like podcast followers too. (laughs) 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 Fingers crossed, we got to check those numbers. All right, so our last question, ladies, we'll start with Lauren, is what is your favorite horse movie? Seabiscuit. I would watch Jeff Bridges order Chinese food. He's just so good. And also William H. Macy stole that movie. He was the star of the show. Nice. And Jenna, what's your favorite horse movie? I was going to say none of them, but as I was listening to Lauren's answer, and I am completely having a mind blank on it, but it was the movie, the girl, oh my Lord, she was riding and the horse spooked and she fell and they, the mother, and she ended up going out. The horse whisperer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So 
And the reason I like the movie is because of the horsemanship that they presented in the movie where they, I feel it was like one of the most fair representations and learning a connection with a horse. I'm highly critical of all the errors in the modern day <laughs> horse movies and the wrong racetracks that they're trying to represent. So it's hard <laughs> to like get all wrapped Sea Biscuit, I love, but they Disney-fied it too much. So I get very <laughs> critical on why is that horse on the wrong lead? That's not who that jockey was. That was ridiculous. That's not how that happened. So I love the horse whisperer because they showed everyday people how you can truly connect with a horse. Yeah. Plus uh, it had I, Robert Redford. Well, yeah. that doesn't hurt either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Lauren and Jenna for joining us today. We had so much fun talking to you and we hope that it helps our listeners as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I thought it was a great conversation and kind of two different perspectives, but definitely great tips for everybody. Thank you, ladies. It was fun. Lauren, it was fun. Yeah, this is great. I thought that was a really fun conversation when we initially thought about this topic and you and I wanted to get different perspectives on how to have a difficult conversation. I thought of Lauren because every interaction I've had with her has, she's just a very direct person and she's really funny. So I thought she would be a great guest to talk to. And I was really impressed with Jenna and how she explains how she does things in her business as well. Yeah, I, I wanted to bring in somebody from the racing perspective because I know there's a lot of tough conversations. And actually, Jenna trained some horses for me. I've known her for quite a long time. And she's very lovely. And, and I love how she really is about the horse and super respectful to the horse. And she was great with us as owners. So I thought she would make a great partner to Lauren because she also has to have so many conversations that mm -hmm. aren't easy for people. And this is one of those topics that like, I'm interested in because I really dread tough conversations. We're very similar that way in that we don't like confrontation. But I thought that Jenna had really good advice on that. And she what she said is true. It's important. And you have to know how to talk to people. And you have to know how to deal with it personally so that it's not ruining your life and it's not making things super uncomfortable because I don't think you can grow without being able to talk about things that are difficult. Yeah. And I, I liked asking them about the unplanned events because I think that comes up often in our lives, right? We don't really plan sometimes for bad conversations to happen and then they have to happen. And when Jenna was saying how, like with the, the instance with the jockey where, you know what, I don't want I don't want to turn out to be the way they want it to be. I want mm -hmm. to be above that. Sometimes walking away is is better. And I think that's very true. And I think that's very relevant to our listeners. For sure. And Lauren had great advice about nobody gets fired on Sunday. If you're going to do it, <laughs> wait till Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. true. And I think you need to be able to look from outside your emotions and after the fact rather than doing something while you're all wrapped up in your emotions. Yeah. Coming down from it, shaking it off. That's what I really try to do because you can get so emotionally wrapped up in it. It's your business. It's your livelihood. I really enjoyed the conversations with them today. 
I really Me too. I really learned something and had some good takeaways from it. I'll be listening back and taking some notes, I think, from this yeah. one. It'll help me in the future. Yeah. Can't wait for the next one. Find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. Along with finding out more at eqbusinesswomen.com, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find the Equestrian B2B podcast wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now, go start that difficult conversation. (laughs) 